Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. Are we awake today? Man, it's such an awesome day. I'm Pastor Joey. For those of that are you that are new, we want to say welcome. We believe everyone matters to God. And so we hope that the time that you're with us, you feel that, that you feel the encouragement to know that the God of heaven that spoke all things into existence had you in mind when he created and that your life is precious to him. And uh, we thank, we're thankful for those who gather with us online. I know some are unable to be with us today. We have a few that are um, out, uh, one with uh, COVID. So we want to be li- lifting Rick Basor and their Basor family up, battling uh, COVID right now. And uh, as Scott said, Brody and Crystal had their baby boys, the twins, that are looking great. She's, uh, Brody sent me a picture, and they're so gorgeous. And I responded to him. I said, I'm so thankful they look like their mom. And... Uh, So uh, he appreciated that, I'm sure. Nothing but encouragement here. That's my gift. So we want to do that. And uh, and just a clarification, I think Scott said that um, all the kids are going to be dropped off at the gym. That's for kindergarten through high school. The nursery is still in the teacher's lounge, which is right here outside um, the auditorium doors. If you have infants or babies and you want uh, to have that nursery care during Sunday morning small group or during worship, we invite you to take advantage of that. So uh, we appreciate all, um, the, those that come and families and new life that's springing up here at VLC. Such an awesome thing. So we are in week two of this new series. And uh, just so you know, this series has me a little nervous. I, I, don't, I don't know if uh, you caught that last week, but we're venturing into looking at some realities, some issues in our world today, not trying to be political, but trying to be biblical about what is political. There's a difference. Where we're not here campaigning for anyone, but we want to look at what's happening in our world, some things that are going on, and what the Bible has to say to to instruct us about how believers in Jesus Christ should be living and operating in a time like this. And so last week we talked about the vaccines and and the vaccine mandates and the lockdowns and some of that craziness that's been going on. And I just want to say um, up front that if you walked away, if you've taken the vaccine and you've walked away feeling uh, any negative feelings about the discussion we had last week, I apologize to you because that wasn't the intention. The intention was just to bring to light that those who are pro-vaccine should not be judgmental of those who are anti anti-vaccine, because there are reasons, there are things, violations of conscience that are are real issues that people have that are reasons why they're not taking the vaccine, and vice versa. If you're anti-vaccine, don't look at somebody who's pro-vaccine and be judgmental to them, because there are reasons, there are convictions, there, there are issues as to why they are taking it. So as believers, we're called to unity. We're called to support each other. And when things are not an issue of sin, we show charity. We show grace to one another. Amen? Amen. So today we're going to kind of dive in to another uh, issue that is, it's been going on for some time, for, for a long time. And that's the issue of indoctrination. The issue of indoctrination. 
Indoctrination has been happening for many years. And believe it or not, it even happens in the church. It does. Anytime you're talking about an issue and you only give one side or you simply defend one side and you don't give all the information out there to allow people to make an educated uh, determination for themselves, you are endeavoring or trying to indoctrinate them into a certain point of view or a certain way of belief. And uh, growing up, there, there are things that I believed that this was true. The Bible said it. Jesus spoke it, and that's it, right? Like, we're talking, like, this is just what the Bible says. And, and one of those issues, I, I've talked about it before, was about the end times and how the end times was to unfold. I was taught a certain system that says this is the way it is, and I was taught that my whole life. And when I graduated high school, entered the real world, and into college, I started working with other Christians who had completely different points of view, and I had never even heard it before. I assumed everybody believed the way I did. And when I found out they didn't, it was, it was a shock to my system. And so over the course of my Christian life, I've, I've had to check some things at the door and just say, Holy Spirit, teach me through your word what the Bible says, what it means. Don't let me get locked into a certain way of thinking and believing because it might not be right. It might be inaccurate. We are, we're indoctrinated in so many different ways, uh, especially in the realm of politics. But indoctrination, again, is not just a political issue. It really is a people issue. And it's a people power issue. It's a mechanism leveraged by people in power to create and keep power out of fear of losing power. At any level of authority, and that's what indoctrination is intended to do. And, and it's to steer you in the direction the people in power want to steer you. At, at your job, if you're in the corporate world, I'm sure your business has a set of core values. And those core values are talked about over and over and over and over again. You're measured by how you live up to those values. Why? To indoctrinate you into a certain set of behaviors that align with the company standards so that you think, act, and represent the company the way they want you to think, act, and represent. So it happens in all different levels in all different societies. And when it comes to issues of morality and spirituality, this is what happened in the Garden of Eden. Think back to Genesis chapter 3, right? God puts Adam and Eve in the garden. And everything's all good in the hood, right? Everything's good. No, no brokenness, no sin, no, no divorce, no drug addictions, no um, too many carbohydrates on the weekend, and now you have to crash diet in order to get off that five pounds you didn't need, right? None of the stuff that we wrestle with it was going on. It was so perfect. And all God said was, don't eat of one tree. You have all the rest of them. Don't eat this one. Because when you eat that one, things aren't going to be all good anymore. And so here comes the devil, the serpent, and he deceives Eve. And, and I have to think about just human nature, right? If they've been living a certain way for a long time, we don't just turn on a dime. Like, think of human nature. Someone comes up to you and tells you something contrary to what you've believed your whole life. And it, for them, may have been three days. I don't know how long they'd been alive. But they have believed a certain way their whole life. Here comes the serpent and says something else. 
I have to believe in my heart, it wasn't an instantaneous decision. That it was over the course of time, multiple temptations saying, look, I can eat of this tree. I can do these things and be okay. Look, it's really good for food. That God of yours is probably not telling you the truth. And over the course of time, as he's planting that seed into Eve's mind, the what she begins to think begins to change from what she believed before to now a new way of believing. And when she decided to go all in with this new set of values, new set of beliefs, her behavior changed. She went from avoiding the tree to now eating of the tree and bringing other people along with her, her husband, Adam and unfolds the brokenness of the world. The reason why indoctrination is a powerful tool is because thought and belief affect how we live. What you think and how you believe will determine a lot about your life. And so if I can control what you think, then I can inconspicuously or inconspicuously coerce you into doing something I want you to do or act a way I want you to act. If I can control your mind, then I can really direct your life. And there are many forms of indoctrination floating around, especially politically on the news and social media. And people are getting canceled when they don't follow suit, when they don't support the narrative. But our government and people who lobby for certain ideological groups, what they're doing is they're trying to subtly influence through indoctrination, especially the youth of America, because they're easier to influence, to adopt certain ideas and behaviors and values as normative in order to transform America from what it is supposed to be, the land of the free, to what they want it to be. Matter of fact, Barack Obama is credited with saying that he wanted to fundamentally transform America. Fundamentally. That means completely change it from what it was at the beginning to something altogether new. But the thing is, is you can't do that through wars. Think of how many battles we fought. We've lost some battles. We've won some battles. In all the battles we've lost, did America change who they were? No. We've kept on. We've gone ahead. You don't change a country through wars. You change it through ideas. You change it through ideas. One of the major hot topic issues that's been an issue in our nation really since its inception is the issue of racism. It's no secret that America has a checkered past. But praise be to God, we've mostly grown out of that. Mostly. We're not legalizing racism anymore. Instances that happen, happen more so on an individual level. But people are being called racist. That term racist is being thrown around like candy right now. The minute you object to something somebody else is, you know, views about a certain issue, they'll just call you a racist. And not just labeling bigots, but anyone that disagrees with really the liberal left agenda to shut people up or shut them down. When you call somebody a racist, think about it. It's a verbal attack. You might be able to silence them by getting them canceled off their social media. You might be able to silence them by getting them fired from their job. But you're not going to change their heart if they are a racist. You're not going to change their heart. You're not going to get to the source of the problem, which is the human heart. So a more effective tool, which is a long-range plan, 
is through the dissemination of information and repeated messaging over and over again because over time you can get a person to believe the content you're telling them. They say when a person is told a lie at least seven times, they begin to believe it. This is the law of propaganda. Propaganda says you repeat something often enough and people will start to believe it. And this law of propaganda, the, the original author of this law, is contributed to the Nazi Joseph Goebbels. So propaganda was actually a tool the Nazis used to come into power. Think about what the Nazis did, what Hitler did in Germany. They took a nation, completely converted it to the Third Reich Nazi way of thinking, and led a nation into really the... the, the eradication of the Jewish people and others like it in order to prop up the Aryan race. What person do you know waking up each and every day would wake up and think that was a great idea? Nobody would. Nobody wakes up one morning and say, let's kill a whole race of people. But over the course of time, through propaganda and indoctrination, they were able to create a disaster, catastrophe, and bring... Hitler to power as the solution, and he was, through propaganda and indoctrination, unable to lead them to the annihilation of millions of Jewish people. It's incredible. There was an American named Horace Mann. He was a champion for the centralization or the, the government control of public education. The goal of a government-controlled public school system in its inception, as urged by this man, Horace Mann, uh, as recorded by Michael Katz, a historian, says the crusade for the educational reform was not the simple, unambiguous good it had long been taken to be. The central aim of the movement was to establish more efficient mechanisms of social control. And its chief legacy was the principle that education was something the better part of the community did to the others to make them orderly, moral, and tractable. In other words, when public education came into being, the public school system, it came into being in order so that the more dignified members of society could raise up the, the deplorable underbelly of the community to meet its standards. That's the reason why we have a government-controlled public school system. Now, there are great many wonderful people that work in our public school system. My mom taught in the public school system for years, uh, retired from the public school system. But regardless of how many wonderful teachers and administrators and people that we know that work in this field, it doesn't change the reason behind the formation of the public school system under the federal government. Social engineering has always been the focus of a government-controlled public education system and by those in charge. According to the Institutes of Education Sciences, prior to the formation of our government-controlled education system, there were schools, there was education, there was public education, but they were church-supported schools. There were local schools organized by towns or groups of parents, tuition schools set up by traveling schoolmasters, charity schools for the poor children run by churches and benevolent societies, boarding schools for children and for the well-to-do, dame schools run by women in their homes, private tutoring or homeschooling, work apprenticeships with some rudimentary instruction in reading, writing, and arithmetic. Before the public school system 
was controlled by the federal government, the body of Jesus Christ had the strongest hand in educating our kids. So where do you think the lens of public education was coming from? It was coming from the founding principles of our nation that we are one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. One nation under God, fear of God. And this was being uh, taught and disseminated into our children to grow up into a nation of faithful, moral, God-fearing people. But when the government took control of it, they secularized it. And over time, they've removed God from the schools, starting with removing the ability to pray and in some instances, even bring your Bible to school. So though historically, we can look at our nation and know that it wasn't perfect. There were some inequalities. There, were, there was inequalities with uh, women's right to vote and as we can see, slavery and other things of that nature. The last hundred years has brought many of those inequalities to rest. Discrimination laws prohibit the discrimination against people um, on various things. Everyone now, in rather than being like boys being taught certain things and being allowed to go on into careers and women being suppressed, now everyone is taught the same things in the same schools. The discrimination has by and large been done away with on a systemic level. Curriculums and standards are not just city to city and, and, and county to county, but often determined by the state and even have influence by the federal government. So there is a, now a national equilibrium playing field for men and women and, and for races of all kinds in our nation. But some don't see this as a win for America, that this is the win. So they're wanting to go a step further and they see this as a prime opportunity to circumvent the God-given role of parents to be the primary educators in their home to now inundate our public school system with curriculums and ideologies that push radical agendas, to change the way the minds of the youth think about different issues in order to fundamentally transform our nation. In an interview in 2013, MSNBC host Melissa Harris-Perry recorded a commercial for the network which stated that children don't belong to their parents. Here's what she said. She said, we've never invested as much in public education as we should have because we've always had a kind of private notion of children. Your kid is yours and totally your responsibility. We haven't had a very collective notion of these are our children, she says in a spot for the network's Lean Forward campaign. So part of it is we have to break through our kind of private idea that kids belong to their parents or kids belong to their families and recognize that kids belong to whole communities. So think about what she's saying. And this is the narrative being promulgated by many of these that have influence in our nation. One of the major pushes of these ideologies, the people who make decisions, and they have as their mission to subvert parental oversight, move away from traditional norms such as patriotism, the nuclear family, our foundational faith as Christians, as a Christian nation, and to groom our children into the image of their choosing, to indoctrinate them with morals and belief systems that guide them toward the America they want to create rather than the one that was created. So one of the major pushes in our country today in our public education system is a set of ideas, um, and one we're gonna look at today is a set of ideas that's going nationwide. It's called critical race theory. 
And critical race theory is the source of much frustration and division in our nation. If, if you've seen any of the news reports or gone on YouTube, there are literally um, massive protests happening at school, bo school board meetings all over the nation because of this one central issue. It seems to be inflaming racism and radical division rather than helping to heal the country through solving the problem. According to an article in the New York Times trying to define what critical race theory is, the authors of the theory claim that this theory is intended to identify oppressive systems and find solutions to these systems in our society. To, to look at inequalities and try to find a way to level the playing field for those that are like, seen to be uh, at a detriment. But when you look at the fundamentals of CRT, it is singularly focused on leveling the playing field between majority and minority races a certain way. In other words, they believe that these institutional frameworks and laws in our society or norms in our culture, they lend to the advancement of white people, the majority, a.k.a. white privilege, you've probably heard that terminology, and the detriment of colored people causing racial disparities in education and economic or wealth in our country. So they believe that our society is set up in a way that promotes only white people and puts everyone else, colored people, to a detriment. That would be fine, except Asians are among the highest educated and highest wealthy people in our nation. So even on the, the facts, it's not true. But nonetheless, statistically, if you look on paper, historically, white people have done better on paper than people of color. And so CRT states that there's a hidden racist agenda keeping people of color down and the systemic issues in our government that, that causes this to be so. And again, we have a racist history in our country. We cannot deny that. We cannot deny that. We have issues in our nation. We have black dots on our nation that no one is proud of. There's segregation, slavery, Jim Crow laws, and many hurdles to acceptance of people of color have to be acknowledged. We cannot argue that. If, if you've ever been hurt in a relationship, if you've ever been betrayed by a spouse or, or had a, a trauma, you know you don't just get over that. It takes a long time. And if you grow up in a home where trauma has been done, that home's going to create an environment that has ripple effects for generations. In the Old Testament, God says the sins of the father go down for multiple generations. We call this a generational curse. So there are traumas in our past that still have a ripple effect today that we have to acknowledge. We're not denying that. But to date, there are zero laws in place that promote racism. If we find some, then the body of Christ especially ought to stand to their feet and protest until that thing's gotten off the books with all the vitriol we can muster. But in society in the present time, within the last 10 years, we've seen both the first black president of the United States, the first female black vice president, and first female vice president. So if we look at where we were years and years ago to where we are, we are not in the same place. We're not. That has to be acknowledged. But today the word, the buzzword is not equality. That's what we were fighting for, equality. We by and large have it now. So the word has changed. 
The word is now equity. It's the new buzzword. Martin Luther King Jr., in his famous speech, he said, I have a dream that my children will be judged not on the color of their skin, but on the content of their character. It's a good dream. And we see this every day. But equal is no longer the goal. It's equity. So now the push is not equal value with different outcomes based on your merit, your personal choices. Now the push with equity is equal outcome regardless of choices. That's the push. According to foxnews.com, a California school board in June voted against using CRT based on its tenets um, and its program. A board, even though they voted to abolish CRT from its district on October 8th, 2021, after five years of intense scrutiny and effort, California became the first state to make ethnic studies a required class for high school graduates. In other words, before you can graduate high school in California, you must pass a CRT class. And this is what's caused the showdowns all across America. Not just about mandates and other polarizing issues. These school board meetings have been erupting all over. And here recently, this past week, Merrick Garland, our U.S. Attorney General, according to the news site Politico, offered federal law, uh, ordered federal law enforcement authorities, the FBI, to huddle with local leaders in the coming weeks to address what the nation's top prosecutor called a recent disturbing spike in harassment, intimidation, and threats of violence against educators and school board members. Garland wrote in his memorandum to the federal prosecutors and FBI director, Christopher Wray, he said, they're expected to include a training program and a new federal task force stacked with representatives from the department's criminal, civil rights, and national security divisions. And they did this because last week, the National Board of uh, School Board Associate, Association pre pressed President Joe Biden for federal assistance to review threats of violence against public schools and asked if it could be considered domestic terrorism or hate crimes. So in the, they sent a letter to President Biden and said, we need help with this. We think that this is crossing a, a, a line with all of these disruptions at meetings. And in their letter, they said, America public schools and education leaders are under immediate threat. These threats and acts of violence are affecting our nation's democracy at the very foundational levels, causing school board members and many who are not paid to resign immediately and or discontinue their service after their respective terms. Now, just thinking about that, that sounds pretty serious, doesn't it? I mean, like, who wouldn't want to go to bat? If, if these school board members are being threatened with violence, yes. Let's stand up. Let's get security there. Let's put an end to this. But in USA, USA Today, they took the letter that was sent and they analyzed it and they, they brought to light the evidence that they proposed was evidence of these threats of violence. And the title of the article says, there is no actual proof of increased violence. If one reads the letter, I quote, one finds people clearly raising their voices, which is normal when people are discussing things that matter to them. When parents or community members cross the line into threats, local law enforcement have handled the situation. There is no quantitative data in the letter. Instead, there are a bunch of disparate stories strung together to make them look like there's a pattern. These acts are disruptive and inappropriate, but democracy is not a graduate school seminar, and parents are allowed to express themselves to educated school board members. 
So in the letter they sent to the president, they had no evidence of violence. All they had were evidences of parents getting angry about what was going on. So the National School Board Association wants the federal government to silence the voices of concerned parents by labeling them domestic terrorists. When public servants are actually supposed to serve the public, not the other way around. Right? Well, what's happening? These people with these ideologies don't want to be confronted or challenged by how they're indoctrinating our children. And they're moving toward intimidation to silence the opposition, cancel culture, so they can be unbridled in their efforts. Beloved, as the Church of Jesus Christ, regarding the original intention of critical race theory, identifying oppressive systems, should we be sensitive to the struggles of others? Of course we should. Should we be biased in our judgment in consideration of others based on race or any other metric? No, we shouldn't. James 2, 8 and 9, James weighs in on this issue in the scripture. He says, yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. Somebody say, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus was asked, what are the two greatest commandments in all the Bible? He says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is equal to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the royal law. This is how you can fulfill everything God asks of you. Love God with everything you are and love people the way you love yourself. Verse 9, but if you favor some people over others, you are committing sin and you are guilty of breaking the law. If you favor some people over others, you are guilty of breaking this law. So racial bias, discrimination, racism is an abhorrent sin before God. If you treat others poorly based on racial prejudice, you are sinning. Racial prejudice should not be named among the body of Christ. But CRT doesn't just want you to treat other people equally and fairly and consider others as equals. It wants the majority to stop doing so well so the minority can rise up and do better. It's creating division. And it's the very definition of racism. So what do we do? What do we do in this climate, in this culture, with this type of division and indoctrination? The first thing we do, beloved, very first thing, is check your own heart. If we're joking about other people at their expense, if we are undercover racists, or we wouldn't call ourselves racist, but yet we feel weird and awkward around other people because we have deeply ingrained issues with other people, we need to check our heart. And we need to get ourselves right before God. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. We need to search ourselves. And if there's anything in us that offends God, we need to repent. 
You can't be a part of the healing of the nation if you're still holding on to hate. How are you supposed to go into all the world and reach the nations, right? That word nation is ethnos. It means ethnicity. God didn't just say reach all the countries. He said reach all the different people groups. How are you supposed to love the world as Christ loved the world? Reach people with the gospel of Christ if you're hating them. You see, in the picture of the church in heaven, when we're in our fullness, it's made up of every people, nation, tribe, and tongue. I have a vision I have for seven years now. It'll be eight next April 20th on our next birthday. I have a vision of this church being filled with people from all walks of life, every color, every type of background, completely unified in the spirit, worshiping Jesus and being a threat to the enemy kingdom in this, in this area. The beloved is every nation, tribe, and tongue, perfect unity amid our diversity because what we're unified in is greater than anything that could divide us. So the first thing we have to do is check our heart. The second thing we need to do is get involved. Far too often, and what this culture has done to the church, it's made us feel like we have no voice. You can't say that at your job. You can't say that in the public square. You can't talk about that. And we've allowed them to indoctrinate us to think we can only speak of Jesus when we gather for worship on Sundays. But no, beloved, we're to re represent him everywhere we go. We need to remember and recognize our failure as Americans and as parents, as bo the body of Christ, for letting society lead us rather than rising up to lead society. We have allowed our culture to create an environment that makes it easy for parents to abdicate their responsibilities to their of their kids over to the federal government. Proverbs 22.6, this is a word for parents. It says, direct your children onto the right path, and when they're older, they will not leave it. It is God's, a God-given right and responsibility, a God-given privilege to raise a child. And the word for parents is First, in order to direct your children, you have to be involved with your children. You have to know what's going on in their life. You can't, we can't be checked out parents anymore and just let society raise our kids because they have an agenda for our children. We can't let politicians and ideologues get away with the indoctrination. We have to be intentional, active in the system because it's true. What children believe and begin to think when they're young will carry over when they're older. We can't just assume that they're being taken care of properly by our public education and being led the way they should go. And again, we have awesome teachers and administrators. We have people that are doing an excellent job with the task before them. Many have too hard of a job than what they're able to accomplish. We need to love our teachers and our administrators and support them, but that doesn't remove our responsibility to guide our children the way they were created to go. Education begins in the home especially spiritual education. Parents, we need to surrender our God to our God-given role as primary educator of the family. You're not only educator, you're also pastor, guidance counselor, and disciplinarian. It's your job as parents to raise your kids. Titus 2.4 says, these older women must train the younger women to love their husbands 
and their children. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Raising kids is the parent's responsibility. I, re I remember in, in school, I think I was in high school at the time. It might have been middle school. But I remember being in a, like an English class. And I don't even know what got us on this subject. But the teacher was talking about philosophy. And she said, there are no absolutes. She, she said it straight out. She's like, and I remember this. She's like, there's no such thing as an absolute. And, and so what could be true for you could be true for somebody else. And I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, that, that doesn't sound right. And years later, when I heard somebody talking about that as an argument, the response I was told to say, next time someone says there's no absolutes, respond with, well, is that absolutely true? If there are no absolutes, is that absolutely true? No, it's contradiction, Right? But that was the thing. Why was she saying that? She was saying that because what people have commonly held as true, if you can't rely on that as truth, then that means other ways of thinking and doing things are equally as valid and therefore just as important. And it's a way to undercut the authority of God's word in somebody's life. And so there's always been this push to lead us away from God and what God's word says to then place our faith in really the government and what those in power have to say. Raising kids is the parent's responsibility, not just to lead them into a personal relationship with Christ, which is vitally important, but also to demonstrate to them how to follow Jesus. In John 8, 31 through 32, Jesus said to people who believed in him, you're truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will what, beloved? The truth will set you free. Knowing the truth will set you free. There are a lot of truths out there. But the truth of God is what sets people free. The more we abide in the word of God, the more we'll be able to discern truth from a lie so not only do we need to surrender to our God-given duty as parents, but we also need to get involved in our community so we can not just speak, but also demonstrate the truth before people who are lost in a state of confusion. To help people see the truth of what's really happening in our communities. Jesus said, a house divided cannot stand. Abraham Lincoln said the same thing before we fought the civil war over slavery. Quoted Jesus. A house divided cannot stand. So we, can, uh, we cannot stand against the enemy when he's dividing us and he's using the divide and conquer methodology to divide our nation, divide the body of Christ to bring about what he desires. So we can either bark and moan about what's not going right in our world or we can get involved and become part of the solution. On ilovepublicschool.org, it lists some ways parents can get involved or volunteers. One is to mentor a student. To get in there to people that don't have godly influence, don't have a mature person in their life to, to help guide them and get in and mentor a student. You can volunteer at school events, especially to help kids who are struggling with reading learn to read. Um, Urban, the Urban Child Institute cites that children that are not reading proficiently at grade three are four times more likely to drop out of high school. 
So there is a huge need for kids to learn how to read when they're younger. You can get involved in helping kids learn how to read. You can join a parent organization. You can help organize the donation of supplies. You can attend school board meetings. You can follow local education reporters. There are many ways of getting involved, but the, the deal is not what you do to get involved, is that you are involved. That you're involved in the process. You know what's going on and that your voice is in the right place to be spoken at the right time. There's so many ways that we can get involved in our city to help combat the indoctrination that's happening. In Jeremiah 29, 7, this is such an amazing verse. Right before um, Israel's being sent into Babylon for exile, they're getting kicked out of the nation of Israel because of their sins. God speaks to the prophet Jeremiah and he tells them the, mo the most Quoted scripture, I think, in all the Bible, more than John 3, 16, probably. It's, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for good and not disaster to give you a future and a hope. It's, anytime someone's going through a hard time, sooner or later, someone's going to be like, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. It's on mugs and on, you know, all sorts of stuff. Just before he says that in verse 11, here's what he says. He says, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Wherever you are, wherever you're going, you can look at all the bad stuff happening. You can gripe and complain about it. Or you can work for the peace and its prosperity. You can intercede for it by praying to God that God would bless that city. Why is that important? Because its welfare will determine your welfare. If your city is falling apart, your life will be dramatically impacted. Why do you think people flee crumbling neighborhoods? Racks with violence and poverty and drugs and all this stuff because no one wants to live there if they don't have to. We need to work for the peace and prosperity, which means getting involved. And if we do these things, and yet we don't make any progress, say, say we're parents and we have kids and we're involved and we're going to school board meetings and we're, we're speaking up and we're doing everything possible we can and we're praying and we're praying and we're praying, but something isn't shifting. Things continue to get worse and worse. What do we do if we're not making any progress? Well, beloved, we need to consider going back to the way things used to be and take our children's education under our belt completely. Out of the hands of the bureaucrats. And either transfer them to a private school that doesn't teach our kids harmful ideologies or make the sacrifice and homeschool our kids and form homeschool cooperatives. That seems rather radical for some. And I'll just be honest here. Can I be open and honest with you? We homeschool all four of our kids. I think we're in the third year now. I never wanted to homeschool our kids. I went to public school and I knew some homeschooled kids at my church and they ain't right. <laughs> they weren't right. I'm just saying. So I had this in my mind. I don't want to do that to my kids. You know, what, what if they turn out like that? that that'd be a bad day. I've soon learned it's not the homeschool that does that. It's the environment that they're in. But, you know, that goes without saying. But, a few years ago, my wife, like even early on when our kids were young, she's like, I really just feel like we're supposed to homeschool. And I'm like, no, no, we're not doing it. We're not doing that to our kids. 
couple of years ago, she was like, I, I just, God is just telling me now's the time. If we're going to do it, now's the time. And I'm like, well, you're smarter and wiser than me. So I guess you're saying that's what God wants us to do. Let's, let's do it. And, uh, and so she made the sacrifice to stay home and homeschool our kids. It was a huge blessing because the next year COVID hit, shut everything down and our lives really didn't change much because we were already doing it. We were already working from home. So it was a huge blessing through COVID. But it has been one of the greatest and most difficult decisions we've ever made. One woman, four different grades, four different places in life, trying to handle all this stuff because, you know, I'm doing all sorts of stuff throughout the day. She's doing 99.9% of all the schooling. And even though I didn't want to do that, we surrendered to the Lord. And my wife has made such a huge sacrifice. And I can tell you, and you can ask her, she'll confirm this. There have been many days where she felt like, I don't want to do this. I don't feel like I can do it. I don't feel like I can make it. Maybe we should just send them back. I don't, I don't know. But the Lord's been faithful every day. She's done an amazing job. Some of you, you, you might be feeling like that. You might be feeling like, well, I could never do that. Let me tell you, God will be faithful. Well, we, can't, we couldn't afford to do that. We both have to work in order to make ends meet. And I'd say, isn't driving an older car and not having as many payments worth the trade-off that you would get with your kids not being indoctrinated or being led in a way that will be destructive for their life? I'm not saying everyone needs to homeschool, but what I am saying is we should be willing to do whatever it takes to guard the next generation of being led in a way they should not go because they will grow older and not depart from it. We should be willing to go to bat for kids who don't have the same spiritual covering at home that we do, not just because of CRT, but this is about the church being salt and light in the area. It shouldn't come to an issue like CRT for us to wanna to get involved to help make our communities better. It's about taking back the ground the enemy has been stealing from our nation so we can stand against what is wrong, but also lead the way in what is right. You see, the church has gotten this wrong. The church historically has just stood up against what's wrong, but then never did anything about what was right. And it's time we do both. We don't just voice our displeasure about what's wrong, but we get involved and do what's right. And sometimes that's hard to figure out. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to say, okay, God, I surrender to this. I, know I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't think I'm going to like doing that. But if this is what you're leading me to do, then I surrender to it. Jesus, at the night before he was crucified, prayed a prayer that said, God, if there's another way, but not my will, yours be done. And his submission to the Father led to the salvation of the whole world. Sometimes we have to take a sidestep and say, God, this is not my plan. But if you're leading me, then it will be better in submission to you than what I can accomplish on my own. And I can tell you, though my wife could have been working full time, we could have more income, we could have nicer things, gone on more vacations. The trade-off, what we have now, the connection into our family, the relationship we have with our kids far exceeds any monetary value. Sometimes it's hard to figure it out, know what to do. But this is why as the church... We need to be praying for our families, praying for our city, and asking God, what would you have me do? 
where do you want me to get involved? Maybe it's to run for school board. Maybe it's to become a teacher or volunteer to help a teacher out. Maybe it's just to bring Jesus into a secular environment somehow. Before we know what we should do, we need to know what God wants us to do. And what I know God wants us to do in this series is he wants us to intercede for our community. And at this time, we're going to enter to a time of prayer. Normally, we have opportunity for people to come forward and be prayed for. But I just believe in this series, we need to be the church. And we need to start praying about these issues. And say, God, you're not the author of confusion. This indoctrination is not from you. So God, help us know the truth. And help us work for the peace and the prosperity of our communities. God, put an end to what's leading our younger generations astray and raise up voices that will speak loudly and clearly the plans and purposes you have, not just for our community, but for our nation. And God, if it's me, let it begin with me. Search my heart. Know my plans and thoughts. If there's anything in me that's wicked and evil, God, point it out. Let's get it out. Let's get rid of it because I know that you want to use me to be a great light. Lord God, I just thank you in this moment that in a world that seems to be spinning out of control, you are still completely in control. In a world that's trying to divide us, the power of the cross of Christ is still strong enough to unite us. God, in a world where we are indoctrinated and pressured to feel like we have to live a certain way or to accumulate certain wealth and, and trinkets and toys to drive certain cars, to dress in certain clothes in order to be accepted into society. God, may we see all of those things as loss compared to knowing Christ and the life that you prepared for us because you do know the plans you have for us. They're for good and not disaster to give us a future and a hope and not just for us, but for future generations. So God, as we enter this time of prayer and intercession, raise up those voices. Raise up the voices in this church to have a heart for our city, to have a heart for our community, to have a heart for our nation, to have a heart for those who are oppressed, to speak for those who have no voice, to stand against indoctrination with evil intent, but God, to lead the way in righteousness and peace. And we thank you, God, for what you're going to accomplish through this time of prayer. In Jesus' name. From all of us at Vertical Life Church, we want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you and God bless.